want you to be like my ride or die. Like I want you in bed with me. I want to be your favorite fucking brand that you've ever, I want you to treat me like your best friend. I want you to know that when you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you can call my customer service. I want you to know that we are something much bigger than just a retailer in your life. This is Get Shit Done, a show about female entrepreneurs who are not willing to settle for 4% and the stories and steps they took to scale their companies to the top through traction by getting shit done and growing on their own terms. Have you ever had a customer write your company a love letter? Like not a a customer testimonial, like a true love letter, like I love you so much. You have changed my life. I feel seen, heard. I feel like a better person, so on and so forth. Okay, maybe you have, but I bet you haven't had this. And if you have, I will literally send you $5 through Venmo right now. Okay, no, I won't. It was nice in theory, but I'm frugal AF. That's not happening. But have you ever had a customer Get your company name or logo tattooed on their body. Nope, you haven't. You haven't. You know who has? Emma McElroy of Wild Fang. That's who. Welcome back to Get Shit Done, the podcast, queens. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, the founder, aka chief Get Shit Done officer of Get Shit Done. We are the originators of the Fuck 4% movement, where we are focused on helping female entrepreneurs develop more traction to help you have the power to choose how you scale your company on your own terms. I will never forget where I was when I met Emma. We went to this retail conference in Miami. I think it was like 2016 for retail executives. And we were amongst the very few that were probably under 40. And she took the stage to talk about her company, Wild Fang. And she told this story and showed pictures of a montage of her tribe of customers who had literally sent them an outpour of love letters and even the picture of a customer who got their company tattooed on them. Like that is insane, but in the best way ever. That is what brand loyalty looks like. You can't even pay for that shit because the only way you get that is through true authenticity. When it comes to values and standing for something, quite frankly, most companies today are super basic and fake and they care more about PR for profit versus actually creating an impact. And here's the line of thinking on that. It's, we're going to go acquire as many customers as possible, saturate the market, and we're going to remain neutral on everything, not to rock the boat. And then they're wondering why they're spending all this money on acquiring customers instead of keeping them because people are leaving because you don't stand for shit. Emma and Wild Fang are the epitome of what I call building brand on purpose because they will take a stand by their values any day, even if it rocks the boat and even if they're going to lose some customers because they don't care about serving everybody. They care about serving the people they're meant to serve and they know that that yields so much more ROI long term. An example of this is when they did a GoFundMe to keep the last standing abortion clinic in North Dakota up and running. They raised around six figures. And regardless of what your beliefs are on that, that is literally the true 
definition of building brand on purpose is that you're not going to sit by the sidelines because you're scared to say something to lose people. It's saying, no, this is what we value. And if you haven't yet, check out Simon Sinek's Start With Why, because he talks so deeply about this, about how people don't care what you do, they care why you do it. And that's exactly what you're going to learn in this episode today from Emma. She is one of the best leaders, startup founders, who has really understood how to build brand on purpose and really get into the why that not only allows her to build a badass multi-million scalable company, but also keep very, very, very loyal customers. P.S. In true startup fashion, we were playing a little trial and error on the sound side, y'all, with some of these original episodes. <laughs> now a girl has a real mic, but there will be a little iffiness in some of the sound for some of these. However, it does not take away from the fact that there are nothing but gems being dropped throughout the entire episode that's going to help you get shit done, honey. What is Wild Fang and why did you start it? Wildfang is the home for badass women. So it really exists. It's pretty simple. It exists to allow women to be whoever the hell they want and wear whatever the hell they want. So um, it starts with uniform because uniform is such a big part of our self-expression. And women have been told what to wear and what not to wear for a really long time. And we're kind of over that. So uh, we break all those gender rules within fashion and, and we offer up a different point of view. Um, you know, things like power suits, right? Suits, button downs graphic tees are actually graphic. Um, so just kind of a more bold point of view that I think can miss in for women. And then beyond that, we uh, we use our platform and our voice to encourage women to break a lot of the other gender rules that don't make any sense, who they get to be, what they want in life, what career they want, you know, and uh, we do that through our social, through our voice in, in social, through our content in social. We do that through our events. We do that through our charities. You know, we've given back almost about $450,000 this year to charity. Uh, um, which is kind of wild. So places like Black Girls Code, places like Southern Poverty Law Center, places like Races, Planned Parenthood. So, um, you know, our brand is more than more than just clothing, right? It's supporting our community in every way that we can and, and making them their best selves. So, uh, yeah, fuck the patriarchy. I love it. <laughs> so why did you start it? Why did you feel like it mattered? It mattered because... Again, it started through uniform, right? It started through clothing, and, and I think clothing is such a powerful piece of how you self-express, and when you can't self-express, it sucks. Like, people who can self-express probably don't understand it, but when you have been told to be a thing that you're not for a really long time, it sucks, and you never really achieve your potential. You don't walk into a job interview and nail it. You don't go to a first date and nail it, because you're always sort of trying to be someone else, and I think that was me and my co-founder. We... We would walk into department stores and, you know, I want to look like Keith Richards or Patti Smith, right? That's like my MO. And I'd walk in and be like, yeah, all this shit is like bohemian and frilly and pink and like it's not me. Um, and she would do the same thing, you know, and we were like, there must be other people that have this problem, right? There must be other people, even if they don't wear this stuff head to toe, they, they want it in certain parts of their life or certain parts of their day. They want to be bolder. They want to fuck the fashion world just like we do. So that's where it started. Love it. The branding agency, Red Ant Antler, the co-founder of it, um, they did a shit ton of branding for like companies like Casper. So their yes. founder is saying, something that great brands do is know what they stand for. So obviously, Wild Fang is one of my favorite brands. And not just because you're my friend. If you, if you suck, <laughs> I would tell you, you're not that great. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually really good. <laughs> and you guys stand for something. So 
How did you walk us through that process for determining what you would stand for and then how you made it come to life? Yeah, so it's a funny it's a funny one. I'll be super honest with you. We we had clear brand values when we launched, for sure. And they're still true. But the brand kind of transformed in twenty sixteen. Um, the election was pretty pretty intense for us, uh, from an employee standpoint, from a community standpoint, from a personal standpoint, and I honestly thought, based on the results of the election, I thought that maybe our brand didn't didn't exist. Maybe, you know, you can talk about target market, you can talk about TAM and stuff like that. I thought maybe there just aren't that many people who believe in wildfire values, like maybe we don't need to exist. Um, and our community was hurting, and our staff was, were hurting. The day after the election, we had a um, the conference table was literally here, and we had a kind of team round table, and everybody was either in tears or freaked out. Um, and everybody had their own reason for being freaked out, you know, from uh, my black employees, my same sex employee, you know, my employees who are in same sex relationship, my trans employees, my, um, you know, women who wanted to keep access to abortion rights. Like, everybody had a different way of coming at it. People on my team who had mental health issues and were like, what if I can't, what if it, it's, not, it's no longer possible for me to get these drugs on healthcare, right? Everybody was freaking out about something different. And I think it was probably that moment that I decided that it mattered more that we stood for something and that we were a safe space for people and that we, we picked people up and we built community than we made money, you know? It, that moment was such a pivotal moment for, for us. And so for the next three days, we actually didn't market. We didn't do any commercial market. And so we didn't post any product pictures. We didn't uh, send any emails and it was supposed to be our new arrivals email so we killed that which is our biggest email of the week so we, we killed all of the commercial stuff and then what happened was the next three days in sales were the three biggest days of our year and so as a founder it was this very clear message back from the universe or back from my community that said no actually you really need to exist like if we ever needed you it's not yeah. and so from that point onwards I've just decided like so much of entrepreneurial media and, and startup culture is about the end right like the only time you get interviewed by Inc. Magazine or uh, Entrepreneur is, is at the end, right? Like, did you make it? Did you not? Are you Tony Shea? Are you Sophia Amoruso? Did you raise $100 million? Yeah. Did you raise $100 million? Did, did you make $3 billion in your sale, right? And if you don't do that, you're like, you're you're the rest of us, right? And so I decided that I don't care what the end of the journey is. I don't care how it plays out. I've stopped worrying about it. I just want to make an impact every day here and now, every single day in the office, every single day to my community. Because if I can do that, it doesn't matter what the end is. I know that for as long as we're around, as long as I'm around, we're making an impact. And so that was a pretty big shift for me from being like, oh, my God, I need the VC funding and I need to exit for 5X and blah, 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 to just being like, I don't give a shit about any of that. I We exist for our consumer. I'm going to make a difference in our consumer's life. And every time I can make a business decision that makes their life better, I'm going to do that. So, yeah, I think it started in 2016 for us, but it's been a very deep personal journey for me as a leader. And thankfully, you know, um, our team feels the same way I do and, and our investors do actually too. So that's nice. Yeah. Now we have no VC funding, which I think is kind of important. It's probably why I get away with murder. Because when you said that you like, you were like, fuck it, I'm not doing the five X thing. I'm going to do this regardless and make an impact. I was like a big reason why I left my last company. Cause I was like so stuck in, we had the exit for this. We have to do that, but we also raised VC. What would you say are the main ingredients for building a purposeful brand? So you mentioned you guys had brand values and obviously things in your company evolve over time, but there's always a foundation. So what would you say are those main ingredients that have stayed true for Wildfang? So I think the first thing is like the entire team is aligned on the mission and the goal. We all live and breathe it every day. And it's, it's really important for us because if you're, if you're committed to a vision of making the world better for women, what that looks like for you and me is completely different, right? 
you know, you're a straight black woman and I'm a queer white woman. Like, uh, they're completely different things that oppress us, marginalize us, make life difficult. And so I need a whole fucking team of people. I need a whole community of people that are like, I'm fighting for the same thing. It just looks a little different because I can't, I can't represent everybody, right? So um, I think the first thing that has been a really big contributor to our success and a really big part of building the brand is that behind these walls, there's an entire team of people who, who just believe in it and they come to work every day to do the same thing that I do just through their lens and through their function. So that's super important is aligning people around a really big goal that they can believe in and be passionate about and that gets them through the hard time. But that's but they not just profit too. Because there's a lot of companies that try to lead with profit. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, if you're talking to a brand marketer, like I, I just don't understand why you'd ever leave the profit. It's just, it's just so short term, you know, like there's times when my consumer can shop and spend money and there's times when they can't, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to just be the, the, the company that chimes in when they have money. Like that's bullshit. You know, I, like people talk about building brands. It's such an overused terminology. Like we're building our brand, we're building our brand. And again, there's a lot of great consumer brands in the startup space, right? You mentioned one of them, Casper, Warby Parker, AYR, Bonobos, Mod Club, right? There's a lot of people coming to that nine. And I know many people at those companies. I'm not shitting on them at all. But nobody wants to fucking tattoo from those brands, right? Nobody wants to get Casper tattooed. People actually get wildfire tattooed, right? People people actually tattoo it on their, their body without any impetus or motivation from me, right? That's a consumer brand. Like, people get swoosh tattoos. People get Nike tattoos. People get Adidas tattoos, right? But you don't, you know, you probably don't go and get a Casper or an actor tattoo or Warby Parker tattoo. And so where I hold a brand and what I want a brand to mean isn't just, and again, this is just a very personal thing. It's not critique. It's not just I feel good about my purchase, right? Like, there's a lot of brands you just feel good about. Like, you maybe feel better about buying Coke than another one, or you feel better about buying Starbucks than something. And that's just, like, feeling good. I want you to be, like, my ride or die. Like, I want you in bed with me. I want to be your favorite fucking brand that you've ever... I want you to treat me like your best friend. I want you to know that when you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you can call my customer service. I want you to know that we are something much bigger than just a retailer in your life. And, and I might be crazy, you know, you might talk to me in five years, and I'm like, well, I was fucking stupid, why did I do that? But I just, I, I'm just so bored with retail, it needs to be reinvented, like, and, and, and what you've seen is this move to DTC, right, and everybody's doing DTC and it's higher margins, and then everybody slaps a kind of, like, palatable brand on the front of it, where, we're, you know, we feel good about colors and the logo, and, like, we talk in a nice voice, and, and that's great, but it's just so one-dimensional, like, I just want it to be so much more, you know, like, when you look at Gen Z, the generation that's coming through next, like they have the most fluid identity of any gender, any uh, generation yet. Um, the biggest buying power, but also the most fluid identity. They are uh, more than fifty percent will come from an ethnic minority race, so first non-white majority, like majority non-white population. Uh, more than fifty percent will identify as something other than straight. So I mean that's mind blowing. Fifty-seven percent of them know um, a friend or a person in their life who uses they/them pronouns. Um, they have three jobs by the time they're 30, three entirely different careers by the time they're 30. Like, it's just a super fluid generation that, that, that we're not necessarily ready for. And in addition to that, they're activists. They grew up with, uh, Walls, you know, the Wall Street stuff was, uh, Occupy Wall Street was like when they were kids. That's all they saw. They saw Black Lives Matter. They saw the Ice Bucket Challenge. Like, they've been taught to be activists since they could walk, right? That's all they've seen in the background. So I just think between their fluidity and the way they identify, um, and that doesn't mean like they won't identify as women or they won't identify. It, it just means it's all a little more fluid, right? And so 
if, if you don't understand their identity and you don't understand their motivations as to why they're going to pick a job or not pick a job, pick a retailer or not pick a retailer, like I just think that generation is about 20 right now at the top end. So, you know, give it 10 years. I think brands are just going to be irrelevant if they're not if they're not connected with that audience and, and the current offering of slightly palatable, enjoyable color palettes and logos ain't going to cut it, you know? Like when people ask me what I see Wildfang as in five years, I think as much about how many people have tattoos of the brand as I do about revenue. I love that. So then for you, building brand and sticking to those values is through brand and community. So how are you able to carry that out on a daily basis? Is it through... I'm decision making, like... It, the, you know, the two things that spring to mind when you say that are number one, decision making, right? Every fucking decision that gets faced in front of me, whether it's like, should we open a store here or here? Or whether it's like, should our new blazer look like this or this? Or uh, like, it doesn't matter how mundane it is. I put those values and those consumers at the center of every decision, every single decision. If they were sat here right now watching me make this decision, which by the way, in a world where every device has a camera on it, <laughs> it's completely possible. Um, but if they were sat here right now with me, would they approve of this decision? If this meeting and conversation I'm having with you right now got posted on the internet live without any editing, would I be comfortable with it? Of course I would, right? I lead with them and their values. And I say them as my community, my cons- my consumer target. Like I, I lead with them and their values in every decision because I'm, I'm trying to be epically transparent and authentic and, and in the brand. It's not like I choose when decisions get made through a consumer lens. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I come back to it again, my whole team behave with the same values, you know, so they're empowered. I don't need to like micromanage them or wait over their shoulder. They're going to make decisions with the same values I would, which is really powerful. You, you just don't need to manage people like they're going to behave the same. Like I hear, I don't know. Let's see if we can get her to wave. Paige, can you wave? There she is. I hear Paige on the phone uh, with, she, she's head of our customer service department. And I hear her on the phone all the time with customers. And I'm like, I couldn't have said it better. That was epic, you know? Yeah. So she's just doing the right thing for people. And and she's putting them first and their needs and their motivations first before ours. And, and that's just how you build epic trust and epic, you know, if you want to go into business stuff, frequency, lifetime value, engagement, all that other good stuff. But I think the two things for me are the fact that my team can work independently of me. They do not need me to sign off. They they know the values. They know how I'm going to make decisions. They watch me do it. And, and they can do the same thing. And then the second piece is uh, I never change the value system uh, that I operate under. I make decisions in the same way based on the same value systems in every situation. So a lot of people perceive, I know something I got a lot of pushback on when I was in my last company is that branding is very hard to quantify. It's very hard to put in the the spreadsheet and be able to say, you're going to get 10x back. No, that's not how it works. Um, It's something that evolves over time. So what would you say to founders who have no resources, because most founders don't have resources, um, unless maybe you're a white male with a trust fund, but most founders don't have the resources to invest in the branding that Nike does. Like what they just did with Colin Kaepernick is huge, and that probably required a lot of investment. But you guys have been doing great branding early on. I know you came from Nike, but when you had no resources, how were you able to execute on great brand and have that evolve with the company over time? So, uh, good question. Um, I think the first thing is you got to have someone in your team who can do brand. Like, it's real simple. you got to... The place that you invest is not in DC. It's not in the man creation budgets. It's in people. By the way, a lot of people will work for very little money if you can convince them. Yeah. There's no one that believes more in a story and a vision than a brand marketer. So, 
you know, that might mean you get them on nights or their weekends or one day a week, or that might mean you have to make a mix of equity and cash and taking their kids to soccer games on the weekend. Like I've done a lot of things for a lot of people to get them to invest in the business. So, um, the first thing you have to do is have that person in your business. It's the cheapest spend you can possibly put into demand creation, put into brand. Um, rather than hiring agencies to do this or that, you have to have the person in-house who's going to lead this charge and who believes in it um, and who can be scrappy and create these materials. And, and in our company, that's often me or my chief creative officer. So um, I think the first thing I would recommend is you work your ass off to bring someone in-house on some kind of a negotiation compensation package that you can you can make happen right um and like i say of all the people like the difference between trying to pitch a brand marketer and a head of finance on that kind of arrangement your your head of brands could be a lot more open to it because that, that's how they think they believe in the impossible they have visions that you know they have dreams um so believing on a startup you know pitching in on a startup is, is something that you should be able to get a brand marketer to do so that's the first thing. The second thing is we now live in a world where actually lo-fi media wins. And so I think that's super exciting. You know, if you look at, you know, if you look at Facebook advertising, if you look at Instagram advertising, what's winning in those channels is, is really lo-fi media that looks like your friend took it. You know, if you look at the, the, the advertisement that Outdoor Voices is putting out there right now or Universal Standard or, or, or any of those kinds of brands who are very, very successful, fast-moving startups, it's all, it's all shot on an iPhone and it's shot from here, right? So we've seen a huge shift from high production to low production and, and, and to lo-fi, um, and it can be created. I mean, my God, there are so many apps on your phone that, whether it's Canvas or, like, that can allow you to create very basic video, very basic graphically design, uh, which is actually what we do. We, we do a shit ton of that. We, we don't have any agencies. Uh, a lot of our stuff doesn't go through a formal graphic designer um, because that's actually what's winning in those channels. Um, and then I think the last thing is that's more of a production piece, but that's another reason why you don't need a big budget. And then I think the last piece is, um, it's all about knowing your consumer, right? If, if you can figure out what conversation you need to have with your consumer and how you need to have it to stand out. Um, like a great example is the Melania jacket that we did a couple of months ago. No other fashion brand was talking about the fact that she'd just worn the most offensive piece of clothing ever. And the reason that we cut through is not because the product we put out there was like the best product you've ever seen or the best design product you've ever seen. It's because it was brave and it's because it was bold and it's because it was fast, yeah. right? Yeah. And and we didn't even, you know, if you look at that jacket that we made, that I really care jacket, we didn't actually even have it made. You know, we were telling people to pre-order and then we shipped it six, seven weeks later, right? So your consumer will work with you if, if you know them, understand them and take a strong bold point of view that speaks to them and so there's a lot of moments <laughs> never truer than right now the, you know that the current world and administration is providing us a lot of moments to react to and to be reactionary to so i think it's and, and those are where you're you know you have earned channels and paid channels those are where your earned channels come in your pr your social your word of mouth even to some extent events but you can get a shit ton of heat and virality through being really reactive, being the first and the boldest to respond to a situation and giving the tools to the consumer to make an impact. That's another thing we've seen. But I don't think you need big budgets any longer to do brand. So I can come at this two ways. I can either talk about like tracking and how to prove the data, but truthfully, that's a slightly more boring conversation because it can be done, but none of us have time. Yeah. Um, I think the more interesting conversation is how with very small amounts of money, and huge amounts of passion and testing and trying and throwing shit at a wall and being bold and standing out. Like how, how with that kind of approach, can you create some virality or create some major wins 
and they were so low cost to execute that any return is great, right? Like that's that's how I try to operate with brands. 50% of my brand strikes miss and 50 hit, but I've spent so little money on them and I've hustled so hard to be smart and clever and stand out and, and do it in a lo-fi way that the misses don't matter because it didn't really cost anything. And then if you get a hit, it's great, right? And you learn from it and you go again. But actually in the world that we live in now, the high end, like fully produced Nike stuff is, is actually very rare. And it's, I, I actually think, you know, if you go to someone like a Casey Neiman or there, there's people that you could have got to make that Nike ad on an iPhone and it would have been just as successful. Let's use the Melania Trump campaign as an example for taking a stand. And I think a lot of brands, Pepsi was a great example of what happens when you try to be a bandwagon person or a brand and get in on the conversation when you're not authentic about it. And I think a lot of people and a lot of brands are kind of scared, like, where can we immerse ourselves in the conversation? So what advice would you give on when you should take a stand and how you guys should execute. I love the Melania Trump story about how you and your team turned that shit around in like a night. Get to know your consumer better. Get to know your fucking consumer better. Pepsi have no legs to stand on. They did not get another consumer. I guarantee that went through an ad agency and some millennial and ad agency pitched it back and, and some old straight white cis guy who's trying to be cool signed it off. And like, I know what that process looks like. What we do is I spend time with our consumers. I had three events this week for our company, right? On uh, last night was our LA launch party. Our team is immersed. They are in that. They are learning about the LA consumer. They're asking the consumer how they find out about us. They're asking them what they want. They're asking them what they think of product. They're, they're like in that. The night before, we had an event at our store to celebrate Adrian Nelson, who's the first black Supreme Court judge in Oregon. And we raised a bunch of money for her to just put a stamp of approval on, on her and her future in Oregon. Um, and we had a panel with a leadership panel with four of the most amazing leaders who just happen to be black women in Oregon. And we had to turn people away. The, the space reached capacity. There were 175 people. The Facebook invite had 2,200 people trying to come. Like, it was so powerful. People were like, this is the best event I've ever been to in Oregon. Like, these women are everything. They Like, I've never seen so many people that look like me and share my experience in one space. I must have talked to 100 people that night. Why do you love this event? Why does it stand out? Why haven't you been, you know, why haven't you heard a while? Have you heard a wild find? No. Oh my God. You know, what's your immediate impression? What do you think we are? What do you think we did? Like spend time with your consumer and get to know your consumer, get to know their names, get to know what they eat for breakfast, get to know why they like your brand, why they don't, what they want from it, what they don't. But like, you don't need it. You know, I used to do a shit ton of like very professional qualitative research for Nike. You don't need, you don't need the methodology. You don't need the discussion guides. You just need to spend time with your consumer because then what happens is you feel their fire. Like you feel when they're upset. You feel when they're passionate. You feel when they're in love with something and you've spoken to them enough about it that you know what the point of view is to take, right? But nobody at Pepsi talked to anybody. Like Pepsi didn't sit down with you and ask you for a point of view on that because if they'd spent 30 seconds with you, they would have known that their advert was the stupidest thing they could ever put into the market, right? But they didn't. You know, and we get scared. We're like, well, what if they don't like it? And you're like, yeah, what do you think is worse? That you find out they don't like it before you go to do it or that you find out they don't like it after you've put 50 million into ad spend, right? Yeah. So I just don't really have any, I think there's two things. Firstly, I don't really have any time or like sympathy for, for most of those brands because they're just not working hard enough. You know, they're, they're jumping on a bandwagon um, and they need to spend more time with their consumer. The second thing is, um, if you're a really authentic brand, you're going to fuck up. And we've fucked up tons. We've made loads of mistakes. 
And what happens is I own them from the top and I apologize from the top and I listen and I get feedback. And then the next time we do it, we do it better. And, and, and that's the key is, is ownership from the top, transparency, apology, listening and being better. Like, and there's so many brands don't do that. I remember when the United Air thing happened, you know, when the guy got kicked off the plane and I watched the CEO for the next like three weeks, like dodge questions and like say he needed more information. You're like, you don't need more information. There was a very clear video. Just take a point of view. If he, in his first interview the day after, had said, we completely royally fucked up. We will never do that again. I am so embarrassed. I am going to personally meet this person and apologize. And I am opening up a hotline and an email that you can send us letters and call us to just tell us ways that we can be better and we will listen. He, it, would have, it would have disappeared. But he didn't. He dodged it. He needed data. He, he backed away from it. He half answered it. He half apologized. And so no wonder everybody hates United, right? Like, yeah, I just think you need to get closer to your consumer and you need to be much more honest, upfront, and, and accountable about your mistakes. And so what would you say is a way that you guys are checking in and measuring that you're doing your job? If you guys are invested in brand and growing that way through community, how do you hold yourselves accountable and making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? But it's largely all the connections that we have with consumers. It's all the connections, all the touch points. So retail, we have four stores in three states. So that allows us to very quickly, if we have something we need to get from a consumer group, we can test it very quickly with literally three different populations. Social media, so we, we have a pretty big following in social, so it's very easy for us to... We don't always, like, sometimes we take a stand, but sometimes we also just say, what do you think about this, right? Because it is a complicated issue, and some people see it one way, and some people see it another way, and so we'll just start a discussion and listen to the discussion. Customer service, you know, if, if people phone up pissed off, um, we're recording that, we're capturing it, and we're sharing it. Um, if people phone up super excited, we're capturing it, recording it, sharing it. So events, I mean, it, it's all that stuff. So it's every single place, time and place, that you have a connection with the consumer, you're listening, you're asking questions, you're recording it, you're capturing it, you're sharing it, and you're learning from it. Like, it's, it's pretty simple. It's kind of a 24-7 practice for us. Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to help you grow your business on your own terms. If you want more support scaling your company and a chance to connect with a curated community of like-minded founders focused on slaying traction goals together, head to the link in our show notes to check out our accelerator and membership community. And if you enjoyed today's episode, show us some love by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. I also love hearing from you, friend. So tag me on the gram at GetShitDoneQueen and tell me what you learned or what you want to learn more about. Until next time, queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.